Welcome everyone to today's webinar and happy inauguration day. Uh, my name is Dr. Katherine Kennedy and I am the founder and executive director of Wellness for Educators. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization invested in and passionate about supporting educators worldwide to be resilient. To do this, we share research-based trauma and equity-informed somatic practices and strategies for well-being and social and emotional learning, such as yoga, mindfulness, meditation, qigong, spoken word, sound, art, and more. For those who are not familiar with areas of somatics, these are practices that integrate mind and body. You can learn more, learn more about us at wellforedu.org. Today, we're talking about empowerment through healing, understanding and responding to race-based trauma in education. And I am so honored and grateful to welcome our three guests who also serve on Wellness for Educators Board of Directors. First, we have Dr. Tia Madkins, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction in the College of Education at the University of Texas at Austin. Her research focuses on supporting teachers to design inclusive STEAM and, and computing classrooms and engage equity-focused pedagogies with minoritized students, especially Black girls. Dr. Madkins taught PK through eight students in Southern and Northern California prior to earning a PhD in education at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Tia. Dr. Nicole Howard is an assistant professor in the School of Education at the University of Redlands. She has served as co-chair for ISTE's Digital Equity Network, chair of the American Education Research Association's Technology Instruction, Cognition and Learning, uh, SIG, sorry, and co-chair for the California Council on Teacher Education or CCTE Technology SIG. Her research focus are STEM and computer science education experiences for black girls, technology integration in K through 16 classrooms and teacher education. Her writing has appeared in ISTE's publications, the Corwin Connected Educators series and various educational journals. She is also co-founder and co-editor for the Journal of Computer Science Integration. Welcome, Nicole. Shamari Jones serves as vice chair on our board, and he's the director of equity and strategic engagement at Bellevue School District in Bellevue, Washington. He leads staff in thoughtful exploration of institutionalized racism and its impact on student learning and mentors students to raise their social awareness and help them feel more connected and engaged in the district and their communities, which has resulted in a community-wide conversation bringing to light racial and socioeconomic inequities. He serves as a powerful advocate for and witness to the experiences of students of color to help district leaders identify, confront, disrupt, and dismantle structures that limit the potential of those students. He developed several student empowerment initiatives like Students Organized Against Racism or SOAR, Breaking Out of the Margins or BOOM, and sisters having outstanding uniqueness together, or shout, as well as parent advocacy groups like the Parent Alliance for Black Scholars. In 2019, Shamari was recognized as a leader to learn from by Education Week. Welcome, Shamari. So thank you all so much again for being here. Before we start our discussion, uh, Shamari, Tia, and Nicole invited me to do a short grounding practice so you can do this standing up or sitting down, whatever is most comfortable for you. 
Once you are where you are comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes if that feels okay for you or have a soft gaze. And you're welcome to turn off your cameras if you feel more comfortable doing so. Place your right hand over your heart and let the left hand rest on your left knee or your thigh if you're seated or at your sides if you're standing. Begin by inhaling for a count of four. Hold the breath for a count of four. Exhale for a count of four. And hold the breath out for a count of four. This is also called box breath, also a calm heart meditation. So you begin by inhaling for a count of four. Holding the breath for a count of four. Exhaling for a count of four. Holding the breath out for a count of four. And continue at your own pace for five rounds. While you're doing that, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about what this practice is about. This practice is from yoga, which translates to to yoke or to bring together or unite. And what we're uniting in this practice is our body and our mind. Oftentimes we get so busy in our lives that we lose that connection between our body and our mind. We allow so many inputs into our lives that we forget about taking care of ourselves and creating the space that we need to go inward. And in yoga and a lot of the practices that we do, we concentrate on going inward to heal ourselves. One of our biggest superpowers is to create that space. Yoga and meditation can also help us create a larger window of tolerance so that we can handle the challenges that we face every day, no matter how big or small. Continuing your breath where you are. And on your last breath, return to your natural breath. And just take notice of any changes in your body or your mind without judgment, just noticing. All right, let's come back together, breathing naturally and getting ready for our discussion here. Um, thank you all so much again for being here. Nicole, Tia, and Shamari, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start our questions. Uh, so whoever wants to jump in first with these questions, feel free. So first, uh, could you describe your experiences with race-based uh, stress and trauma in general and in education specifically? Sure, I can jump in. <laughs> um, in general, I would say I have stories. I've got stories. Um, and my stories go back to younger days, just being young. And really, I'd say at a time when sometimes I didn't even realize what I was encountering. Um, 
but I was internalizing much of it. And there were things that were said when you're young. And so I think there's some overlap um, when you say in general, because thinking of when we're younger, we're usually in a school setting for a large portion of our day. And so some of those experiences um, can happen in the grocery store or at school. And they range from hearing things such as, you're so pretty for a little black girl. Um, statements like that, you know, that you then internalize. And as a young child, you don't know how to respond. Um, and I'd also say that that racial discrimination that I've encountered in some ways as I was growing up led to disassociation, um, having me want to step away from certain situations and become uh, less vocal. And so uh, my experiences um, have brought me to where I am today in that I do speak up in those in those instances. And I know you'll ask us some questions later and I can speak to um, some of the stories and things that I've encountered in environments that are not just education specific and how I handled those situations so I can offer some strategies. But I'd say those would be um, in general. So in general, I, the experiences led to some disassociative behaviors and then I'd have, I had to reverse those behaviors and learn to be much more vocal. I'd love to piggyback on that, Nicole. Thank you for the offering. I think that this is a very, um, it's a great question for especially those of us of color to reflect upon because for me, not until I began um, intentionally seeking to eradicate challenges for students that I serve, that I um, get to the point of self-reflection all the way back to what Nicole is referring to, um, to a time frame of when those very same oppressions were bestowed upon me by others. And uh, I will say that one of those things that um, is really challenging, it's a challenge to our education system now, it's a challenge to the people in it and the white people in it is this indoctrination of um, teaching folks this uh, wayward way of extreme whiteness uh, devoid of the contributions of uh, and the greatness of people who look like me, um, which then in turn further invalidates uh, my brilliance. And it causes me to perform in ways where uh, I think that this is good enough because this is what people have told me is good enough um, because their expectations are less. And so um, I firmly believe, believe that there is a lot of experiences that we collectively have as folks of color and the experience of going through the uh, traditional K-12 system that um, have impacted us uh, and then they call it the gap. You know, we didn't create that gap. You know, that gap is put onto us by the lack of opportunity that we've been given um, as a gift from white people to um, be able to contribute in the way that we are fully capable of contributing. Tia? Um, I think, like both of you, I have lots of stories, um, but I'm happy to share um, because I think that's one way that we heal is by sharing our stories and, and talking through it. It helps us to process. I think as human beings, one of the best ways we can process what's happened to us is to, um, to tell the stories. And so um, for me personally, things that have happened to me, um, I'm constantly being racially profiled, um, even just in Costco the other day. Um, I have lots of stories about that. Um, over the summer, I was racially profiled in one of our local grocery stores. 
um, to the point where they accused me of stealing and came out to my car and demanded to see my receipt. Um, and so I do research in computer science and, and tech and thinking about helping um, teachers and students to understand the ways that technologies um, can be racist um, and the ways in which they're created to do that, but also to track us. And so that was not, that experience was not lost on me. Um, and I gave myself time and space to cry and to deal with it. And then once I got myself together that evening, I typed up a wonderful three page letter. Um, and by the next morning had a response from the head of um, the research team there um, at that local shoe store and compensation for what I had endured. And so um, I think that is not an uncommon story though, unfortunately. Um, in terms of education uniquely, um, lots of things that have happened, um, both that are stress-based, right? Your need to perform. Um, I taught at a school in LA where I was only one of two black teachers at the entire school. And so I was constantly um, being watched in many ways. And I know that's very, um, very common to, for lots of teachers. I even had a parent take her child out of my classroom once um, she found out that I was black. She had not been there the first couple of days of school. And once she came to pick up her son herself and saw that I was black the next day, she was in the principal's office requesting um, that her son be removed from my class. And he was. Um, and so there are lots of instances like that. Um, I'm happy to share more, but I'll leave it to, um, to others too, if other folks wanna jump back in. I do wanna jump back in really quickly um, because I think that this one, this question is really um, one that we as a community need to discuss a lot further. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, we don't have the, we're not all in the same space to be able to do so for an extended period of time, but um, I'm going to take from Tia's story and use that as an opportunity for self-healing. Um, and also once I get to a place of, um, of overcoming like the instant shock of the consistency of this behavior being one that I have to experience, then I have to ask myself, and I'm using Tia's story as an example here, um, like what will I do with that? And like, what's my responsibility? Because there are others this may happen to. Um, and, and because it happened to you, you've been the chosen one to uh, take that and take from that instance um, and in some sort of manner, similar to Tia, informing others through a three-page letter, letter um, taking that and empowering yourself to help to eradicate that for someone who's going to come behind you. And that's something that uh, I feel really uh, blessed uh, to be a part of the employment that I have within the Bellevue School District. And, you know, I also feel like it's a God-given um, um, a quality that I have that uh, I didn't ask for, but I got it and it's here. And so now I'm going to do everything in my power um, to combat these experiences and to prevent others from having to have them. I'd like to jump back in too, because in listening um, to both to both of you, I'm thinking about, um, I know we, we spoke to Gail Parker's book in the description of the webinar. And there's this story where she talks about um, as a yoga instructor or yoga practitioner. So she went into a yoga class and um, there was like a certain position. I think, you know, it was called out and it was an insensitive name used to describe the particular yoga pose. And 
um, she felt some kind of way about it. And so she took a moment to pause, you know, she took a breath and as much as she wanted to say out loud, why would you use that term to describe the yoga position? She waited until the moment was right and approached the instructor later um, and had a conversation one-on-one. But even a story before that, she talks about how people who witnessed her confront the situation asked, did you think, you know, did you need to call that person out? And especially in front of all of us, did you need to do that right now? And it really has me thinking about my own experiences because I've been through that where I've had to confront something in the moment because it does very much feel that, you know, if you are willing to um, act this way and willing to inflict this trauma, why, why am I somehow not allowed to respond in the moment? And so I think about our young people today who are much more um, I, vocal, you know, our young people, um, our young people today are unafraid to speak up when situations happen. And yet how, what's the response by our administrators when students speak up against what they're dealing with on school campuses? If a teacher makes a comment that they feel uncomfortable with and they address it, you know, somehow, some way they are, um, you know, they're the ones that are disciplined for that response as opposed to really thinking about, let's take one step back. They were willing to say that, willing to do that in front of others. So why not reckon with it? Why not unpack it? Why not let this be a teachable moment? We've heard that term used before. Gail Parker uses that term too, but there are teachable moments for everyone. So. Um, did Shamari or Tia, did you want to jump back in at all? I don't, thank you. Okay. Um, speaking of, of stories, I'll just share a, a short story of a, a friend of mine who, um, I was a freshman in college at the time and I was part of her wedding party. There were 15 or 16 of us and I was the only white person on the, on the wedding party. And um, we went into a bridal shop and the people at the bridal shop kept on coming up to me and I said I'm not the bride she's right there like go talk to Tori and they didn't go help anybody else and I and they kept on coming up to me and I thought oh my god what is going on here it just was uh extremely eye-opening and I, I had prior experiences with some of my friends in middle school and in elementary school having um, the same kind of experiences as that and just uh, really sorry to hear these stories. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, as you're telling them, as you mentioned, Tia, that that you are in the healing process and that you know you have advocates um, with you, supporting you. Um, I do wanna mention, Nicole, um, when you mentioned strategies, if you can bring that up at another time later on when you're when we're talking. And then the other thing I also wanna make sure that we, we touch upon is something that uh, you and Shamari both uh, mentioned about representation during uh, the Equity and Access uh, podcast that we did together. So that's something I'd love for, for you guys to, to bring up later. Um, so let's move on to our next uh, question. What are schools, um, districts, and communities doing to help their educators, students, and communities? Uh, such a tough question. Um, I think I do everything everything. Like I don't ask anybody for permission. 
Um, I am okay with receiving upon the consequence that uh, I'm going to have to face when I don't do things in the manner in which people would like for me to do them. But regardless, um, at the end of it, uh, I, I don't feel as though I have yet gotten to the, to the stasis of consistently experiencing uh, great transformation in our system. So, and I've done it all. Like I've read all the books, you know, and here's things that you should be doing in order to be radical, proactive and transformative in a space in which um, you are employed or not employed. You could be, an, you could be a family member, a parent, you could be a community, community member or an advocate. Um, but a lot of the things revolve around PD. I, I told someone the other day, I calculated because I'm in the jobs and I'm in. I work in a school district, we're a public organization. And because um, there is a contingent of people in my communities that absolutely don't like me based on the fact that I'm pushing for uh, an equitable advancement of how we treat students and families and others um, uh, who have absolutely gone out of their way to sort of make my, my life a little bit miserable um, by way of you know, showing up the school board meetings and an insurmountable amount of public records requests. So I think I'm up to 40 something now of public records requests and um, you know, they're all for specific things, but one of them, uh, a community member wanted to know how much money I spent over the past five or six years in professional development. Uh, and it's substantial. I mean, I've spent $6 million in professional development around racial equity specifically um, in a, me a medium, medium to small size school district. We're 20,000, almost 21,000 students um, and around 2,500 staff. And so that means that we have had umpteen hours worth of uh, trainings on uh, an annual basis, some amounting to somewhere around 90 to 100 hours per person. So we don't have people who don't have consciousness. We have people who have lack of willingness to engage in ways that are outside of the norm of either how they were taught in their teacher prep or education programming or um, in the way that their parents or the, the, the worlds in which they were raised um, agree to or align to what it is that we're trying to do. But, you know, whether it's PD, whether it's build personal relationships, whether it's um, seeking as best as possible to remove the bad seeds from our organization and replace them with people who have mindsets that are more open and amenable to the ways that we want to change. Um, I have experienced some successes. I've experienced some um, some some challenging failure um, opportunities that I've had to re-evaluate uh, and try my best to, to institute again. Um, and um, I really don't have a suggestion. It's very dependent upon your individual uh, organization. For me, my organization was one where the superintendent was all on board. You know, he basically was in his last stage of his um, his tenure as a educator. He was on his way towards retirement. Um, he wanted to build legacy opportunities so he can leave some things behind for um, the community and the district and those we serve. And we did a lot of effort and a lot of work and I, I think we're better for it, but we have a long way to go. Um, and so my advisement here is find a place, the greatest of places to start. Now I've tried the revolutionary route, it didn't work. Um, and the, the thing that it did the most was cause me uh, internal fatigue 
um, and a consistent, uh, unhealthy environment uh, that I was placed into. And so I don't want to do that anymore. Now I have to be more strategic and which, which uh, unfortunately translates into divisive uh, in order to sneak things in under the radar until it becomes common practice and then poof, you know, all the white people now, guess what, it's here. And it can't go away because it's unshakable because everyone's doing it. Um, so I want, I want everyone to start and try and practice. Not everyone's going to be as successful in the things I've been as successful in. Not everyone's going to have as much challenge in the areas where I had challenge. But um, if we're not doing a thing, then the thing is never going to, you know, transform to be more in service of our students and families and staff. Well, uh, you know, I'm at university level, but I can speak to the community um, in the city of Redlands. They recently declared racism a public health crisis. And so that opened the door for conversations um, between schools and the police department, the local PD. And it's also opened up some conversations, I'd say, for our students at a university level um, with different uh, businesses and uh, um, with the police department as well. And it's been um, a healing process and they've definitely talked about bringing in more restorative practices and uh, learning opportunities for our community members, for them to understand the experiences of, of the students from the K-16 spectrum from that whole um, range of, of, of students there because it doesn't just stop when they graduate high school, they continue on to deal with some of these things later. So um, I'd say that's um, one step one step forward. It doesn't completely erase or eradicate racism, but it does open the door for more conversation around what the community can do. And I've definitely started to see some healing take place. I can speak to some of the things that districts have been doing, um, much of them obviously pre-COVID. Um, in Oakland Unified School District, we did a lot of work around full service community schools. And so the district became um, one of those districts. And that's basically where schools um, in areas that have historically been underserved um, really work hard to partner with community organizations, with the district, um, with the state and local authorities to um, offer lots of services. For example, um, the school where I was an instructional coach, we had um, laundry facilities for families to use so kids could come and bring their laundry to school, um, knowing that um, things in the area oftentimes weren't safe for them, right? And so even going to the local laundromat might have been a source of, um, of trauma for them because things happened to them in those spaces. And so parents um, and students could bring their laundry there. Parents could get um, training to help support with, um, you know, becoming prepared to enter the workforce in different ways. So there were free classes that were offered. There was restorative um, justice circles happening within the schools, but also the parents were being trained on that to think about how to respond differently to both student behaviors that um, they might have seen at home, but also just learning um, unlearning some of the traumatic experiences that we had as children. Um, as well, many of those um, schools were partnering with local nonprofits, um, particularly for the visual arts, for students to 
um, have ways to heal from race-based trauma. So um, our school in particular was STEAM focused. And so um, we partnered with some local artists who helped the kids not only process the traumas they were experiencing um, and educating them about what race-based stress is like um, and helping them to name a lot of the things that they were um, dealing with both at home in the school community um, and you know where they worked, et cetera, but also to process that. And so they did a lot of that through art um, and they created artwork um, that became a part of the local community as well. So they did that during their art class and then they would actually go out um, in the evenings and on the weekends and actually begin to paint. And so all of the murals throughout the neighborhood became a part of, um, of their learning, an extension of what they were learning in the classroom. And that was really powerful for those kids. Uh, one more thing that I could offer as advisement, um, like you as an individual um, in this body of work, equity is not pop, it's not popular. Um, it's not popular amongst those who are in, in who are in a part of dominant culture and who have historically been known or at least have felt as though they were in power. And so um, for that purpose, you know, me as an individual combating the system is very challenging on me, but also, you know, uh, much more complicated to get to a resolution or resolve or a success. And so uh, one of my strategies is to commission support from my community so that um, I show up in strength in numbers uh, and I have galvanized teams that uh, I've helped to co-construct uh, that have a, a common goal. So then when it's time for us to show up at the school board meeting uh, to transform that policy or the practices that uh, uh, instructors bestow upon kids in a way that is unhealthy and unsafe for them, then we have a, a collective mass of people that um, um, are being heard all at once. Uh, the loudest voices oftentimes uh, in these school board meetings in particular, the ones that tend to get the most action done. And so I started a, you know, a black parent group called PAPS, Parents Alliance for Black Scholars. Uh, I think that even Catherine um, spoke to a few of my most recent group that I am a member of um, is called Right to Breathe. It uh, initiated just past George Floyd and um, his murder and those in members, the members on that team were combating our municipalities around ensuring the safety and respect of black people um, in those communities. So we're focusing on four cities, right? Someone's got to do it. It shouldn't be you alone. Uh, it's really unfortunate that we still have to in 2021. Um, but um, <clears throat> some of us, you know, we're, we're built here, we're built for this, we're soldiers put here to do this work. And so um, I think we have to find pathways towards making sure that we're still loud about the challenges that we're experiencing. So if I have just a, a follow up to a couple of your comments, Shamari, um, this might go back to what you were talking about regarding uh, the request for documentation um, for your budgeting, but yeah, yeah. But I, I remember when we, we did a case study on your school for the digital learning collaborative snapshot report and, uh, and the program offering uh, students graduation coaches. I remember you talking about that. And I remember also from your article in Ed Week where you came up against some of the community and the parents about having issues about your spending money to serve those students. And I wonder if you could 
talk a little bit more to that part of, of your experiences at your school district? Yeah, I mean, it's pure racism. Uh, and it was racism that was uh, uh, um, rearing its head in our district in the way that no one expected. And so we have a, a bit of a flipped district in our demographics, whereas uh, our, work, our white folks are not the majority by way of number. They certainly still are um, in positions of, of uh, normal, long-term sustainable power uh, within our country. But um, we have a dominant culture in our uh, Asian demographic with an emphasis on Chinese. And there is this, this privilege metric. They, they must follow the ones that were combating this effort because um, uh, many showed up to every board meeting. Many were the requesters for the public records. Um, many absolutely hated that um, I took it upon myself in my role to support kids who some from this community did not feel were deserving of opportunity, right? And then bluntly and blatantly would tell you that to your face. These kids don't work hard enough. Our kids do. So those resources that you're spending should be allocated towards us. They didn't say that to me. They came to the board meeting. It's on public record. You know, they wrote manifestos. They were on the, uh, the, the, the news channel on the radio. It was a really big thing um, to experience such outright blatant racism from someone that I would consider uh, a fellow group of members of color. Um, and so, um, I mean, I'm sure everyone's circumstances are different, but um, sometimes we combat enemies that are not even the ones that we thought that we would be going up against. Sometimes we're going up against the people who look just like us uh, in some of these situations. And so it's just really vital that you are surrounding yourself with, you know, a contingent of people who they absolutely got your back, you know, whether it's from way back or whether it's right there next to you. Um, so that when these incidences occur and not if um, you are prepared with, you know, your cadre to go up against them and continue to fight for what's right. Thanks, Jamari. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, grad success coaches. I, I had a, um, in a role that I played here in Bellevue School District, I uh, created a role called graduation success coach to really identify kids who are not on track towards graduation explicitly. Um, and um, these coaches will have a caseload, very much smaller than a counselor's caseload, maybe 50. And they built relationships with students and they built relationships with their family. They helped them to get all the things that they needed um, towards um, graduating on time. Yeah, that's definitely why, why we featured it because we felt like that's the most important thing at this point is just the support structures for students, um, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Tia, back to your point about restorative practices uh, to heal race-based trauma, I wanted to um, highlight one of the partners that we have through Wellness for Educators. It's called Be Well in Schools. They're based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and they offer guidance on providing wellness rooms uh, as well as professional learning for teachers um, to help students uh, cope with trauma and stress. So if there's uh, behavioral, um, they find that there's behavioral issues in the classroom, instead of 
you know, penalizing the student, they get referred to the wellness room and learn um, strategies like breathing strategies or movement strategies to really help them work through and really get at like, what is the the issue that they're dealing with, because obviously if they're acting out, there's got to be something going on in their lives, in their classrooms, there's, you know, conflict between students, you know, let's try to figure it out without having them get in trouble all the time um, and really displace what is actually going on. I wonder if we can have those wellness centers opened up for our teachers too. I mean, Shamari spoke to teacher education and um, I, I think having an opportunity for teachers to go in and decompress for a moment and think mm -hmm. and reflect upon their practice. Um, I think it's a great space for all, not just the students, even a wellness center for parents. Mm -hmm. Agreed 100%. I know that they, they started um, before COVID, it was uh, like a wellness lounge. There was like a whole group doing wellness lounges in in schools and I, I think that's an amazing idea and same for the families and caregivers especially now that they've become co-educators really in, in COVID-19 um, structures so it's beautiful you know and you don't need a lounge right you don't have to go to a place everyone is so incredibly accustomed to um, virtual communication now and zoom and teams and others um, you know, I, I, when I first got here, I was lonely. When I first got to Bellevue School District, coming from the Urban League, let's be clear, the whole staff was Black, right? And then I went to BSD, and I was the only Black person at the uh, district office. And I was like, this is crap. But I know that there's a few other Black people out there, especially those who are in roles of leadership. And so, like, I launched for my own self a wellness experience, whereas we, as a Black group of leaders within BSD, would come together monthly in a social form. We didn't need to do anything that had anything to do with work. We didn't need to decompress. That racism event that happened over there, we needed to be in one another's company you know, um, regularly so that uh, we could feed off of one another's energy and be able to go back in a sane way to the space that is causing us so much drama. You know, and I started one after that for most of the groups with the expectation that those groups would sustain themselves and that I wouldn't have to be responsible for checking in, you got what you need, etc. And some survived and some fizzled. Um, and the formatting of them are all different. Some of them are working on, you know, strict policy related stuff. Some are talking about their experiences in their employment. And mine is like, yo, let's go do something. Let's kick it you know, come through in the backyard, like everyone bring a drink, you know, we're just going to like enjoy one another's space. And it's been healing. Um, but the challenge is it's healing for the short amount of time. So the question would be, how do you always have a space for healing? How do you how do you turn down after you've turned up for so long during the workday um, <clears throat> in a manner that will rejuvenate you for the day that's to come or the days that are to come, right? And so it, there's a lot of need for finding strategies to, to self-sustain and take care of yourself, which is why I'm so down for this wellness for educators thing. I think even the point in what I'm hearing too is the racial socialization and how important that is for preparing our students to confront and cope with mm -hmm. racism. And mm -hmm. we do affinity groups, uh, but sometimes we have to hear 
that it's not necessary to have an affinity group. And what we're actually saying today is it is necessary. These are valuable spaces for our young people to um, develop their identity, become comfortable in who they are so that they are effectively confronting and combating and coping with the racial trauma that they deal with. Um, and anyway, I know what you're gonna ask about strategy. So I'll wait until you get there, but I just had to say that. I think the racial socialization is important. Yeah, I think we've been we've been talking about uh, the programs and strategies and techniques. So, um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and ask the question, but uh, continue with what you were what we were going with line wise uh, in terms of the conversation. What programs and strategies and techniques have you used, or have you seen others using um, that you'd like to share with our community? And and please feel free uh, participants to chime in in the chat area too. Well, I just wanted to pick back up on the affinity groups piece because um, I know Shamari mentioned creating those spaces at the district level. And what I realized in um, is that during this time, it was something that we also needed on our campus. And so I started the um, Black Students, Faculty, Staff and Administrators Association for um, our campus leaders and our, our in order for us to come together and think about how we would build out um, support for our students, but also support for one another. So I just really want to highlight how important those spaces are for um, not just us as, or for our children, but for adults too. Um, and then I, I wanted to be honest about the piece that we talked about when there might be moments where you're thinking about how do I address a situation? And so, although it's not the strategy that we wanna see all the time, but it's a reality that there's sometimes this passive coping strategy where someone may um, just say, I'm gonna accept it right now and, and deal with it and walk away. But I think that um, I'd like to push back a bit and say that maybe that's not, the strategy, maybe it's one part of the strategy as you step back and process it and then you figure out what's next. How do I channel this energy or how do I address it? And um, Dr. Mackins Tia spoke to that earlier when she when she shared her experience and she leaned into writing. You know, she wrote a letter, you know, so yes, we have moments where we will reflect and think about um, what's going on, but I think there needs to be a what's next. Yeah, I agree. Like a, a point of taking action in it, I think. Um, and, you know, back to the story that I shared about my friend Tori, um, we wrote letters, all of us wrote letters to the Better Business Bureau. And the shop ended up closing down um, based on the, la you know, people just deciding not to shop there anymore. I had a couple things. Um, the first thing is really uh, focus on my black people. And I scrolled through the attendees and there's a lot of y'all on here. So I'm talking to you, um, in doing some research, uh, in my district, um, I discovered, and this isn't concrete research. This isn't data driven research, but I've discovered that, uh, of the groups who historically have not had a position of advantage in uh, systems across our country, I would say in my organization, the black folks have a tendency to, to be the most disjointed by way of having a unified plan towards combating systematized racism. 
I experience it, this person experienced it, that person's experiencing it, but seldom are we coming together uh, as a collective to create a single unified manifesto around what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, who we need to commission support for. Like, let's build a plan around this thing. Um, Cause historically, like in my department um, and especially with having um, a cadre of younger staff, um, and I'll say something slightly controversial. Like I had a cadre of younger staff who uh, I would deem as millennial, um, who were all about the business. They were like, we're getting this done and we're gonna fix all the stuff like tomorrow. Um, and they're gonna combat systems. They're gonna punch white people in the mouth and they're gonna change the way that kids are, are forced to learn. And they're gonna uh, transform the curriculum into something that's more affirming and more connected to culture and history for the people who are gonna be learning it, et cetera. And when they didn't see that, it was moving along the pace at a pace that was respectful to you know, the way they wanted to see things happen. Um, they sort of flailed a bit, right? Whereas if we come together collectively identify a problem, um, absolutely put some meat behind that problem. What we're gonna do, how we're gonna do it, who's responsible? You know, um, I think we'll have a better way towards getting towards, and I hate incrementalism. Like I've been taught for the, the, the longest time in my life that incrementalism is the devil, right? Um, and it's just really unfortunate that I've landed in a system where I have very limited choice outside of incrementalism. If I want to sustain and be a factor that continues to promote transformation and disrupt all these ideologies that have been cemented in our system historically, right? And so I've got to find the most effective ways to bring people together, the most effective ways to speak a language which I do not speak, which is privilege, and the most effective way um, to roll things out in a way that folks can accept, adopt, and then create for themselves, right? Uh, and so it's not an easy task, but I think it's an essential task uh, for us to do instead of talk about it. Right now we're talking about it. The question is, what are you going to do about it, right? Um, and I'll leave that to you. You, the recipient. So Shamari, to, to the, the collective piece, why do you think that um, there might be less of an approach by a collective? Um, and I, I guess back to your point, Nicole, about the affinity groups, the importance of affinity groups, because potentially that collective could move forward with some of these things. But Shamari, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's interesting. We get... This might take a turn because then we get into the brass tacks of like um, the manner in which society was developed and created. You know, I think that um, in my experience, in my professional experience, um, it has become a tremendous rat race. You know, a lot of people are moving to be um, and excuse me if this is offending you, but to move as close to whiteness as possible. That's, that's monetarily, that's positionally, that it, and whiteness is depicted oftentimes as like the goal that we strive for. Like folks migrate and immigrate to our region um, to be as close to power, advantage, and opportunity as possible. And so when we look into the infrastructure of how a system like this is created, in order to advance, you had better fit to a particular box. If you don't fit in that box, 
then you don't advance, right? It's just the narrative of the story. And so the collectivism of I'm a part of this team that's seeking to disrupt is a stain on your record towards the advancement that you're striving to achieve, right? And so we have sometimes people who disassociate themselves from the movement because um, there's, a, there's an instilled fear. We can go all the way back to enslavement. There's a fear instilled in the, the Negro that rises up, right? And so, God forbid, I rise up and then all these white people around me and are like, what that, this isn't customary and they will likely choose to smack me back down into my place, right? And I, I've seen it, you know, y'all have seen it, um, and whether you choose to recognize it or not, uh, it's clear and it's present in a lot of circumstances. And those examples are ones to help to ensure that we stay in our place. You know, uh, enslavement and the whipping of a, of, a, of a person's property so that they don't run away is an example to the other folks, don't you leave, because this is gonna happen to you too, right? And so it's played out, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years and this is where we are. So now we have to find strategies to free our mind from, you know, the, the turmoil and the trauma that, you know, was that of our, deliberately that of our ancestors and place ourselves in a space where, we have less fear. I am one of those individuals who is, you know, a part of this faction that is concerned about what will happen to me if I rise up too hard, right? And I want to get to a place where I can eradicate those fears and just go all the way in in service of my people, knowing that I'm going to lose a few of the battles, but striving towards winning the war. I remember in, in high school, there used to be the spot where we would gather at break. <laughs> the tree the tree <laughs> yeah buddy. every time you were by the tree you know you were allowed to be there for only so long sometimes you were left alone for the entire break but sometimes somebody would come over and say break it up mm -hmm. and i'd often wonder what are we breaking up right and so i put that question back out to uh, my teacher candidates i asked them I give them the scenario and I ask how do you respond and we unpack that because there's something to think about what do you feel inside what makes you what are you feeling that makes you feel like makes you think that needs to be broken up that it's unsafe why is yeah. that why does that appear unsafe and when you have no answer then I go back to well why break it up you know, it's um, so it's a question that we're trying to answer, but I also ask that of, of those who perceive those situations as threatening and, and stick in it and unpack it with them for my teacher candidates. That's yeah, so the important. strategies. Yeah, That's so I'm, important. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just like reflecting back on remembering recess and just seeing that happen and not really being aware of what was actually happening. Um, just a um, reflection on that. I also think that um, it's important to understand that uh, our teachers are taught to be teachers and they're taught how to teach. Um, and when they show up in the classroom, they're practicing all the things that they have been taught, which then for me means that, you know, without um, teachers who teach teachers like, uh, Nicole and Tia, to teach them in manners that uh, forces them to be self-reflective, forces them to answer the critical question, forces them to be in partnership with people who have perspectives different than, than theirs. Um, without that, then we regenerate the same teacher that I had 
40 years ago, right? Which is not the teacher that I needed then and absolutely not the teacher that our kids need now, right? And so we also got to find strategies to push into that post-secondary arena to begin to shape what we want the experience to be for those who we hire into our systems. <clears throat> so I want to I want to um, end with the next few minutes before we we do our our grounding and empowerment uh, practice to to kind of conclude our session. What programs and resources are available that can help the field of education and people of color in general? Just really quickly, if you don't mind, before I jump into specific programs, um, there are a couple of scholars on the call who have these strategies that I'm familiar with that I, I find as valuable. And we were um, reminded today, Dr. Strong, talk to us about the restorative practice in yoga. Um, Dr. McRae, who just left, she also um, sp speaks to that often and the importance of it um, for us, but also for our students. Um, Dr. Dr. Allen, who's on the call, really encourages us to set intentions and to be purposeful, you know? And so I think that these are some things that can help us as educators, but also we can instill these in our students. I think that's also um, powerful. So those are just some other strategies. They're not program specific, um, but there are, there's wellness for educators when it comes to restorative uh, practices in yoga. So there are programs that would give us an opportunity to um, find a way to do that work. Girl Trek, yeah, thank you for dropping that. When we talk about exercise, um, I'm thinking of an acronym, um, Dr. Mackins, Tia, and Shamari, you know, it, DEER was, I just learned this recently, um, and I was told to drink water, eat, exercise, and rest. And, you know, approaching, you know, sort of using that strategy for myself, that's helped me um, try to keep balance during this time because I can't get out and move as much during during the pandemic, right? Um, and then I'll drop some other links in, but I'm gonna stop talking to give my colleagues some time to jump in. I'm just writing down deer. Did I get that the words to it to align to it, right? I don't know if I did or not. Be active, drink water, eat, be active, rest, is that right? Exercise. Yeah, exercise for be active. Exercise. Yeah. What programs and research are available that can help the field of education and people of color in general? You know, like um, a practice of mine, I kind of alluded to it uh, a moment ago, um, but a practice of mine that uh, really helps me in my work, especially with um, as many people as I deal with who have a perspective that is different than mine, um, is to ensure that I stay grounded uh, in my purpose and my mission and my vision by way of creating one. You know, a lot of people don't do that for themselves. We do it for our programs. You know, it's sort of our North Star. You know, we, we do it at, at, by way of uh, creating some guidance for others. Um, but what are we doing for ourselves that help us to always have a center to come back to um, so that we don't accept 
uh, assignments that are outside of that center so that we um, um, seek out opportunities to be a part of things that are going to help you move a little bit more closely to your goal. Um, and I also have this uh, I have this compass that I uh, I ripped. Now, so my millions of dollars worth of professional development uh, for our staff training um, uh, came through by way of uh, Pacific Educational Group, so PEG. And I paid Glenn Singleton and you know a, a lot of his people to fly out often to facilitate uh, conversations and trainings. And so one thing I stole from uh, that body of work that I really enjoy uh, is this, this idea of mindful inquiry, um, whereas we're going to encounter and interface with a tremendous amount of people who don't think like we do, uh, who, not are, who are not appropriate in the way that they uh, address circumstances that um, might impact me or might impact students or others. Um, and a lot of them are very unconscious about uh, what is it that um, is of offense or what is it that they're presenting that is of challenge. And so I help folks to realize those issues, not by way of me being uh, confrontational and you know knocking somebody in the mouth, but by way of me asking a series of deliberate questions from a manner of me finding my center. Like that's the first challenging part in and of itself is finding my center when someone has done something to cause me to feel uncentered. But once I've gotten there and I've reconciled that, you don't know what you just said. Like you're not, you're, you're ignorant to the fact that you just did something that is offensive to others. Uh, and by my gift that God has given me and by my job title, I feel it my responsibility to educate you and my responsibility to take you on a journey um, within yourself to discover why you said that thing and what you actually meant and to make some uh, atonement for uh, whatever it is that uh, has transpired in that space. So mindful inquiry is really big for me. Um, it helps me to seek clarification way before I just write you off as someone that cannot help me in this movement. Wonderful. Well, I want to um, close the practice or close the session today with a uh, a grounding and empowerment practice. Um, I first want to thank Nicole, Tia, and Shamari before we jump into that practice. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your experiences and being vulnerable and really just, um, you know, having uh, all of these resources to provide and all of these strategies. Um, we are grateful for your, for your time and expertise. Um, so we'll go ahead and, and jump into this uh, grounding and empowerment practice. Um, like we did before, if you want to turn off your cameras, you're welcome to do that if it's more comfortable for your practice. Um, you can do this standing up or sitting down, whatever is most comfortable for you. Uh, once you are where you are comfortable, uh, I invite you to close your eyes if that feels okay for you or have a soft gaze and take a couple of deep breaths in and out and bring to memory a moment where you felt fully alive, a moment in which you felt whole, a moment where you felt fully in your humanity. 
Continue your deep breathing as you bring that memory into your mind. Once you have that memory in mind, I want you to observe that memory. What does that memory look like? Where are you? Who are you with? What do you see? What do you hear? And how does this memory make you feel? And as you are observing this memory, continue this deep breathing practice. Let the movement of the breath build the fire at the center of your core. This core is located right at your abdomen. This is the seat of your identity. It is the place at which your passion for your purpose in life is situated, where your seat of power originates. Let the movement of the breath feed your fire. We need that fire to dismantle oppressive structures to move us collectively and individually forward. Let that fire fuel you to connect with your full integrity in community, in humanity, in compassion. Put this memory in a place in your mind that is easily accessible and come back to it whenever you're needing to reconnect with your power to feel fully alive, to feel whole, to feel your humanity Continue to breathe and place one hand over your heart and the other hand over that hand. Bow your head toward your heart center in deep gratitude inward for bringing you here to listen to Tia, Nicole, and Shamari and to all of you who shared your experiences. May we all continue to do our part to dismantle the oppressive structures, an act that can ultimately result in liberation of all human beings. We thank you so much for your time today. As I mentioned, um, we invite you to stay connected with us through our many programs at wellforedu.org. You can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of our website. And we will be sending out the recording and the transcript to those of you who have signed up and feel free to share it with others. Um, thank you so much again and enjoy the rest of your day.